0: We've called this series The Church in the City, and we've been looking at uh, different uh, uh, issues that Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was planted by Paul uh, uh, five years prior to this epistle, and uh, some of the people in the church have written to him uh, with uh, questions about certain issues that the church was facing, and some of these issues were deeply divisive, and uh, Paul is writing this epistle in response to the questions, and he's addressing issue by issue. So you see that in Verse one, we see that he is writing uh, this chapter about food that is being offered to idols, right? He's uh, writing, and now it's concerning food uh, offered to idols. Now, uh, now this particular issue uh, may not be very relevant in most parts of the world. But in India, even today, uh, this is an issue that we face a lot of dilemma with, right? Uh, it, is, it is very relevant whether we eat food that is offered to idols or not. Now, I remember growing up uh, in the South, my friends would go on these trips uh, during summer and they'd come back and they'd uh, bring these uh, massive laddus. I don't know if you've had these uh, massive, huge laddus, right? And uh, they obviously have gone to these uh, pilgrimage kind of trips and they bring and they want to share the laddus with the entire class. And this laddus never ends. They bring it and we got 60 students in the class and every student gets a bite of it. Uh, So... They were just me and me and another guy. We were the only two Christians right I've told you about Moses in one of my stories, right me and Moses. <laughs> Ranjit, Ranjit is a kind of a North Indian I mean name, and so we, I kind of blend Moses uh, doesn't blend too much, right? <laughs> so the question uh, as a fifth grader, sixth grader, are you supposed to eat the ladu or not? right? The Ladu was very attractive, though. <laughs> it was very delicious. It's always a question, right? What do we do in these th- in these uh, situations, right? You go to these one of these massive stores in Chennai. Uh, it's called Saravana Store. They've got all these massive stores with uh, jewelry and saris and all these things. And so uh, every Christmas, we have, you need to shop for weddings, and you go there, and then they have places you can sit in uh, this food court and all that stuff. But the highlight of the store is that at, at certain points during the day, uh, they will bring free pongal. Right? Pongal is this, uh, this uh, uh, ghee, ghee-based. Ghee-based, sugar-based, uh, amazing dessert. Right? So they bring this thing, you can see the ghee in it, you can see it inviting you. So they bring it on a tray, they give it to everybody, and we're all waiting to eat that Pongal. It's free. It's free Pongal, right? Man, it tastes even better when it's free, right? <laughs> so we are but then you know what they are doing right they have obviously offered it to the to the idol and they've done a puja somewhere at the background and they're bringing this pongal so that you will eat and you will shop more and it's a sign of prosperity for them so the question is do you do you eat the pongal or not it's it's really delicious right so what do you do so we always go through this dilemma right um when when your friend offers sweets for diwali your neighbor comes and offers sweets for diwali do you do you accept it? Do you accept it and eat it? Do you accept it? What, 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 are you, what are you supposed to do? Right? What are you supposed to do? How many of you have been to this Nevedium here? Nevedium? This restaurant right here? Show, show me your hands, please. I want to I wanna know who's been to that Nevedium. <laughs> Just kidding. Nevedium. Good food, right? Good, uh, good food. It's vegetarian. Uh, dosas and uh, good thalis and all that stuff. Please try it. It's wonderful. But did you know what Nevediyam means? You know what Nevediyam means? Nevedia. what language is that, Radish? It's Kannada, right? It's Kannada. Nevediyam means food offered to idols. Oh. <laughs> now, now the dosa is not tasting too good now. <laughs> When you're eating that dosa, with that sambar and chutney, it was so nice. Suddenly now, oh, right? What do we do? Right? Our culture is, Permeated with this, our culture is permeated with this, right? And not just food, right? Not just food, right? Do you do you wish somebody happy Diwali? Can you can you wish somebody, right? Can you shake the hands and wish them happy Diwali, right? Our conscience doesn't sometimes let us do that. Can you can you celebrate Holi? Can you burst crackers during Diwali? We're always confused, right? I remember when we. Um, like, Holi was not a big thing in China. So when we moved to Delhi, uh, people were, i mean, people would celebrate Holi. And so we, our kids would enjoyed, And so we would have colors, and they'd go to the terrace, and we'll, uh, we used to throw balloons at people on the street. And then, then they made it illegal. <laughs> so we said, we're not doing that. And then we used to play, right? So we put a picture on, uh, recently, right? I think last year, we put a picture with kids playing and stuff like that. And, and Deepa, after Holi, right, Deepa became very sick after Holi, right? She became very sick with, uh, with uh, intestinal pancreatitis and all that. And uh, we get a message from uh, a dear one, dear brother and sister in Christ, right? <laughs> uh, our uh, friendly brothers and sisters in Christ. She gets a message, maybe you are sick because you played holy. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, maybe you should not be playing holy <laughs> with the children, right? So we are confused. We're always confused. Right? We are confused about these issues. So what do we do? What do we do when you live in a culture that is multi-religious, that is pluralistic, right? How, how do you deal with these issues? Okay. Uh, the larger issue is, and the Food Offered to Idols is, is a kind of a specific issue, but the larger issue is how do you deal with people who you disagree with? How do you deal with people who have views that are different from you, uh, who have a, a different religious view, a different moral view, different background, different culture that you may not agree with? How how do you deal with people like that? What, what is your posture, right? Uh, what, what, what should be your posture? and How do you deal with people who have different views on marriage and relationships and gender and sexuality and environment and politics? How, how are you supposed to deal with people like that? People who disagree with you sometimes may even be hostile to you, right? So typically in in schools, and I I, I talk to this with my kids, right? So in schools and in college, maybe you you immediately, you know there is hostility because of your biblical worldview, there is hostility, right? Uh, So so typically you tend to hide your views. You hide, you don't wanna reveal you're a Christian, right? Uh, Or some would be hostile back. They don't care what people think. They wanna be hostile and they wanna tell what they believe, right? In the world, uh, the, the ethic that the world propagates is tolerance. That's the highest ethic the world can give you. You gotta tolerate. You gotta tolerate people with different views. But even if you think about tolerance, tolerance is tolerance only when people agree with you. The moment somebody disagrees with you, you become intolerant of the views, right? That's the highest the world can offer. But the Bible offers a greater ethic. The Bible does not call us to tolerate one another. The Bible calls us to love one another, especially, not just your brothers and sisters in this room, especially those who disagree with you. It calls us to love one another, especially those who differ from you, especially those who are even hostile to you. Jesus says we love our enemies and we pray for them. So the Bible gives us a completely different paradigm, a different power, right? So today we're gonna talk about this issue of love and liberty. Okay, love and liberty from 1 Corinthians chapter eight. The first thing, first thing we're gonna look at is the problem. What is the problem here, right? What is the problem in the Corinthian church? And I'm gonna uh, frame the problem this way. Our lack of gospel understanding leads to legalism and license. There are two errors. A lack of gospel understanding leads to legalism and license, right? Let's look at verse uh, verse one. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, right? We know that all possess knowledge. And he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? So the people who are writing, there are two groups of people in this church now, and they've become very divisive. There's division among these two groups. Uh, and one group is writing to Paul, and they are the ones who have this knowledge, right? So he's saying, verse 1, or concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote unquote, this is what the Corinthian people are saying, one group, we all possess knowledge, right? So he's replying to that. So there is one group that uh, uh, that says we have knowledge. So you see, what kind of knowledge? Verse 4, verse 4, it says, therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So this is one group. The other group, you see in verse seven, Paul says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So there's another group. So now in the Corinthian church, just in the Corinthian city, just as a background, the city is full of idol worship and food was a key part of rituals, of worship. And the same food that was part of the temple worship and temple rituals was also sold in the marketplace. uh, Was also used in your weddings and celebrations, uh, in your families. Was also used in business meetings uh, and and part of the way culture and commerce worked that time. So to to be able to dissociate yourself from any food that is offered to idols was kind of practically impossible in that situation. It puts you at disadvantage in your workplace. Uh, it uh, uh, dishonors the guests when you take a position like that. It distances you socially from fr- friends and family. So it was kind of a difficult issue. So there were two groups in the church who were trying to deal with this issue. One group, which were maybe new believers, people who had a certain background from certain rituals and practices, and they had a former way of life. And they've come and they've accepted Christ. So they have this view that they said, no, we will not eat food that is offered to idols. Why? Because it reminds us of our previous life. It even uh, We even feel like it is compromising our faith. And so they took a position not to eat, but they didn't just stop there. What they did is they said, this is my position, but then they started judging those who would eat food that is offered to idols. So they would impose their restrictions and their, uh, their, their interests on the rest of the group and started judging people who would maybe eat food offered to idols. But there's another group. The other group has what Paul says, has the knowledge. They said, well, the idol is man-made. There's nothing in an idol, right? Uh, There's nothing about the food that is offered to idols. There is no God but one. Even in verse eight, uh, they, they affirm, they're saying food does not commend you before God. Food does not make you more acceptable or less acceptable. God is not sitting there and judging you based on what food you're eating, right? So they possess this knowledge, and Paul says that is right. But what they are doing is they are flaunting their freedom. They are flaunting their freedom. So so they, so they, what they're doing is they are feasting with this food in front of these new believers and people who are not able to take it. They are, they are even pressurizing some people to eat with them, stating that this is food offered to idols so that they will overcome some of their prejudices. So they come from a good place, but they are trying to force people to do something that they are not feeling comfortable with. So the result of that in verse seven, it says some of these people who are forced to do this, they feel defiled in their conscience. Verse nine, it becomes a stumbling block for them. Verse 10, it is even a temptation for some to go back to their old practices. Verse 11, it destroys and ruins them. Verse 12, it wounds their conscience. And verse 13, it causes them to stumble. And these two groups, right? One that says we won't eat, one that says it's okay to eat, one group that says we won't eat, they are judging those who are eating. One group that says it's okay to eat, they are forcing the others to eat, right? And it's causing division in the Corinthian church. Now we need we need to quickly understand what, what's, what else is happening here, right? And Paul calls this first group, the, the group that says we won't eat. And he, and he uses the word, they are weak in conscience, right? He uses the word, he uses that in verse 7. Again, he uses it in verse 10. He uses it in verse 12. Their conscience is weak. Verse 9, he says that it becomes a stumbling block to the weak. And verse 11, he calls them a weak person. Right? Obviously, it's a, it's a criticism, uh, uh, a well criticism on, on their position. They are weak and Paul does not want them to be weak. Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge. Paul wants them to become strong in their faith. Uh, they, they lack, the, the weak that Paul has in mind, the, the weak in conscience are people who lack a certain understanding of God's word, uh, they, they are not able to fully embrace the gospel of grace and the freedom they have in Christ. In some way, they are still wondering if the food they eat is gonna make them more acceptable to God or less acceptable to God, whether they do some of these things, whether these practices and these things that they do in their life, somehow it is gonna offend God or is it gonna make them more pleasing before God? Right? So they're still in that worldview of kind of tied to God's acceptance of them through their behavior. Paul says they're weak in conscience. They're constantly evaluating. Is this, is this right or wrong? If Everything is right and wrong, good and bad. We are not talking about sins. We are not talking about God's explicit commands in scripture, right? There's no question about that. These are gray areas where scripture doesn't explicitly command, right? Can you do this or not? Can you eat this or not? Can you watch this or not? The Bible doesn't explicitly command some of these things. So, so for a person who's weak in conscience, this gray area is a point of tension for them. They are not able to, they are not able to decide. They, they want somebody to tell them, is this right or wrong? Is this good or bad? They, they need clarity on every issue. And if they do something, their conscience hurts them. It is defiled. Right? It, 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 when, they, when they do certain actions, we are not talking about sins. We are not talking about commands, breaking up. No, we are talking about some of these gray When they do something in this gray area, oh, their conscience doesn't allow it. And when they do it, they feel guilty. They feel bad. They feel defiled. They feel like they're displeasing God in some way. And it ruins their peace and joy. So these are people who've not fully thought about the implications of the gospel of grace. That they are justified by faith. They've not really fully thought through some of the implications, and they still live in fear of how God is looking at them. Are you tracking me? No, when I when I uh, back in college, I came to faith in nineteen ninety six when I finished my twelfth grade, and uh, and and I grew up in a different way, and then uh, I, a lot of things changed in my life. But one of the things that I would do as part of my group was we uh, we would not study on a Sunday, all right? Anybody grew up like that, right? The books need to be shut 12, 12 midnight on Saturday, and the books can open back 12 midnight on a Sunday, right? You cannot, right? You should not, cannot study on a Sunday. You can sleep on a Sunday, (laughs) <laughs> you can you can just lie down and do whatever you want on a sunday like you don't even have to go to church on a sunday right i never i never used to go so like, it's okay right all that is permissible as long as your books are closed your books cannot open right on a sunday so when an exam and all these exams are monday morning man i would be so nervous on sunday i'm like ah oh. 24 hours, I'm not studying, I'm not able to read this and I would wait and wait and finally when 12 o'clock strikes Sunday night and then I would wake up and I would study and I would write the exam and it was a horrible experience, right? So do you study on a Sunday? Do you not study on a Sunday? So when I study on a Sunday, somehow there is fear. Ooh, God, oh man, and I I opened the exam paper. If I had a peak on a Sunday, right, I had a, suddenly I'm like, Oh my gosh, I knew I should not have studied on a Sunday. The exact, exact first question itself, I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know, God, please forgive me. So the first 10 minutes is all establishing relationship with God. Forgiveness and reminding, and all, please Lord, please help me. Oh God, forgive me, I'll, I'll become a pastor. <laughs> Save me. It's okay if there's an earthquake, it's okay, I don't mind an earthquake and all right now, I don't know anything here, right? <laughs> so some of us are raised in a certain way. So we, are, we have a strong conscience in certain areas, we have a weak conscience in certain areas, right? Because of our background, because of our bringing, because of our experiences, right? I, I remember in my home, in my home, my kids are not here, they're listening. We never had a TV. Can you, can you imagine, right? No TV in my house. We had a TV. At that time, there was no channels, right? When we had TV, only Doordarshan was playing, right? So there's no point. By the time that circle comes and they make the music and the TV starts, it takes like half an hour, right? So And then once uh, Star uh, Network and all that came into India, uh, that's it. My, somehow, my, my, our TV, uh, there was some problem with the TV. And my dad didn't fix it. So we would have a TV. <laughs> But it's just a box right we are not like we were not no we never watched TV I when I grew up I never I never entered a theater zero right so we would bunk college you're you okay to bunk bunkers right you you skip college you go to college and and it's called mass bunk right so you go and everybody decides you're gonna skip today right so we go the entire 50. Uh, young guys in mechanical engineering. So we would go. We'll say today mass bunk. Okay, mass bunk. They'll all go to the theater. I will alone. I'll go to home. I'll go home <laughs> because I don't go to theaters, right? Because if I enter the theater somehow, I feel like oh, somehow God is going to judge me or something, right? My mother grew up never going to a circus. Can you <laughs> can you believe this? No circus. So we never. My mom never took us to a circus. Circuses. Satan, Satan's, uh, it's all Satan, right? No circus. Are you, are you tracking me? We all have this. We all have these things. Right? We all have these things. We're all weak in some areas and we're strong in other areas. But but, but the, the weak conscience, Scripture wants us to grow in those areas. Right? If I'm 40-year-old and I'm still telling you, don't go to circus, <laughs> go, go to circus. No, I need to grow in understanding of God's word. Right? Uh, and so, so the weak the weak conscience is hypersensitive to such things. And sometimes, when you have a weak conscience, you become too legalistic, right? You're legalistic about these things, and you want everybody else to do the same thing. We are not talking about sin, right? We are not talking about explicit commands and stuff. We're talking about the gray areas, the middle ground, right? Where scripture doesn't clearly tell. Don't go to circus. <laughs> go to circus. It doesn't say these things right? So so there is one group and Paul calls them weak in conscience. But he is not addressing those who are weak in conscience. He's actually addressing those who are strong in their knowledge, in their conscience, right? He's addressing the other group. Verse 8, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. P- Paul agrees with this group, right? We just read, Paul agrees. An idol has no real existence there is no God but one. Paul says yes I agree with you food does not commend you before God right these these things it doesn't make you more acceptable or more qualified before God no that is not how we come and approach God he doesn't he doesn't minimize the knowledge he doesn't say oh the, your knowledge is unimportant no he's saying knowledge is important. Paul actually prays a lot for people to grow in the knowledge. He prays in Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, Philippians 1. He always prays for people to grow in the knowledge of who God is, in the knowledge of his wisdom and his mystery, right? Paul is constantly praying for greater knowledge for us. So he is not against knowledge. He's saying your knowledge is important, but here he says your knowledge is not sufficient. Verse 2. Verse 2, he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Your, Your knowledge is important, but it's not sufficient. There's something lacking in your knowledge. And what is lacking is love. It's love. He's saying knowledge, yes, you have knowledge, but knowledge alone puffs you up. Knowledge pupsy. knowledge leads to pride. Knowledge without love is like a poison. It is not helpful. It is like when you go to the gym, you have these guys who walk around with the big muscles, uh, big guys, big muscles, a tiny tank top. I don't know if you say, <laughs> I, I don't know where they get this. Is this? Do they make it like that? or how do they fit into that? I have no idea. Maybe they just stare it, right? I don't, know what they, I don't know what they do. They're walking, they're, they always walk like this and they're doing, I, I mean, I... So they walk like that and it's tiny, tiny, so, so it, it's fat. It's a lot of fat. It's a lot of fat and there's a muscle there, but it's a lot of fat beneath the thing. They're, they're not able to, they, they won't run on a treadmill, they, they just can't run for five minutes because they don't have endurance, they don't have stamina, they don't have flexibility, right? They, they only lift and they, they pump up their muscles. It looks it looks in a certain way on the outside, but it's a sign of unhealth. It's not healthy, and and that's the kind of the image. When you have knowledge, or oh, you know these things, and even theology, and you understand God's word, that is good. It is not bad. We have Delhi School of Theology. We want you to study. We want you to grow in your knowledge. It's not bad, but knowledge alone puffs you up you up, you, you walk around with knowledge, but if you don't have love, oh, it is revolting. It is revolting. On the other hand, love without knowledge is also tragic. When you just want to love, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know God. So I just want to love everybody. Love is the answer. No, it is not the answer. It is sentimentality and it is not rooted in truth. So Paul is not putting these two things against each other. He's not telling one group, you should not have knowledge, and he's not telling the other group, you should, you're not, you should grow No, he wants all of them to grow in knowledge, but he's saying the absence of love is the key here. Now, just to kind of step back and think about why this is important, because these two postures can lead to two errors. One is the error of legalism, the other is the error of license, and both are rooted in, in some way, this weak conscience and this this knowledge of the strong Christian, right? Strong believer, right? Both are, both are rooted in an unhealthy understanding of the gospel. Uh, legalism is to say that, uh, th- to live life with a certain set of rules and we feel like God accepts me if I do these rules. And these rules are usually what you are good at, right? <laughs> we are usually good at because it makes us feel better. So when I keep these rules and I come before God, I feel good about myself. That's legalism. And legalism doesn't stop there. It, it wants those rules to be applied for everybody else. Everybody has to follow the same rules, right? That's legalism. On the other hand, license is a posture where you, it's a distortion of the gospel again. License is a posture where you don't care about anybody else. You don't care about any rules, right? That's license. Legalism is bound by rules. License flaunts their freedom that legalism forgets the grace of God, license forgets the holiness of God. Both lack love, both lack love. In legalism, uh, you stifle the freedom that you have in Christ. In license, you abuse the freedom you have in Christ. Both confuses grace and works. In legalism, you think you are righteous before God through your works. And in license, you think your works don't matter at all. Right, James talks about it. Both, both postures are a distortion of the gospel. Both postures, they hamper the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this is important. So in a community like this, right? And in the body of Christ, we should guard ourselves against both these errors. Both these errors, the error of legalism and the error of license. We are called to enjoy the freedoms that God has given us, but to be able to love others and put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. So this is the problem. Well, the question still is, so Ranjit, do you want us to eat the meat or not? What <laughs> do you want me to eat? Do you want me to eat the food or not? Just tell me what, what should I do here, right? My friend, whether you eat or not, you are not any more acceptable or less acceptable before God. Whether you eat or not is a decision between you and the Lord. Whether you eat or not is a, is a decision that is made out of love for others. You are free to do it. That's what Paul is saying. You're free. You're free to eat. You're free not to eat. Right? But then Paul gives us a boundary in this. And this is where we go to the second one. That's a principle. What is the principle in all these things? How can we apply this uh, even to a larger context of other issues in life? So we saw the problem. The principle is our liberty in the gospel is defined by our love for others. Your liberty, God has given you freedom to eat or not to eat. Listen or don't listen. It, it, you, you watch or... It, it, there is liberty for you in the gospel. There is freedom for you in the gospel. Right? But my freedom is restrained and constrained has a limits and boundary, which is called love. It is in the context of love. It is in the context of relationships. Okay. So now Some of the questions that you might have is, but what about... What, what 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 about if, if everybody says they have they like this, they don't like this, they wanna eat this, they don't want to. If everybody has these views, then how do we how do we live as a community, right? How can we how can we please everybody? is in my freedom curtailed by all this? And in this context, Paul is specifically having new believers in mind. Right? New believers who, who are new to faith and we are mindful of some of their cultural and religious backgrounds, right? We are not talking about legalism. We're not talking about legalism here. So, so the boundary is love. So the question is, how do we love somebody who differs? Maybe in your, class, in your classroom, maybe in your workplace, right? Maybe it's a new believer. Maybe it's an unbeliever. Maybe it's a seasoned believer who doesn't agree with you, who differs from you. How do you love them? How does this love? We talked about love is the, is the one that constrains, is the boundary for our freedom. How does this love look like? And I want to practically help you understand that it, it, the, the love practically is seen in genuine hospitality. That is a good context, right? There's a verse in Romans 12, verse 7, it says, Therefore, Paul says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And another translation says, accept one another or receive one another as Christ has received you. Christ has accepted you. How do we love people who differ from us? We are not called to tolerate people. How do we love them who disagrees with us? How do we even love somebody who might even be hostile towards us? By showing genuine hospitality, right? Biblical hospitality is opening your heart and your home to strangers, that's biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is opening your home and heart to strangers, and that includes those who differ from you. That includes those who disagree with you. That includes even your enemy who might be hostile towards you. Uh, Opening your hearts and homes to even people who might have different beliefs that is differ from you or moral backgrounds or sexuality, or doesn't matter. Biblical hospitality is a way you open your heart and home. So let's, let's just look at this, right? Let's understand this. You open your home first. When you open your home to somebody who differs from you, you're opening your space. Home is not just a physical kind of thing, right? Opening your home means you're opening your space to them. You're giving space for them in your life. You're giving time for them. You're letting them come into your space. You're welcoming them and accepting them and receiving them. You're not just tolerating them, you're loving them. It's a way to engage with people and not to stay away, not to disengage. Biblical hospitality is a way you can continue to welcome and love people as Christ commands. Genuine hospitality is not just opening your home, right? You welcome them is also opening your heart. When you welcome them, you begin to understand them. It's an opportunity for you to understand their faith, understand their culture, understand their beliefs, understand their family background. It is an opportunity to be curious. It's an option to listen. It's an option to ask appropriate questions. It's an option to show Empathy to the situation and compassion to them as image bearers of God. This is not biblical hospitality, you don't welcome them in your home and you open your heart not so that you can prove a point. Right? It is not so that you can tell them that you are right. It is not to show that you have all the answers. It is not to win an argument or feel superior. No, my friends, in the process of genuine hospitality, Paul is actually saying, oh, if if this is what it is to love my brother, I might even stop eating this food. I might not eat meat. Genuine love shown through biblical hospitality can actually even change you. It can change your attitude to people. It can change your posture. It can change your actions. Oh, it can change you completely. This is how you deal with people who disagree, right? You don't tolerate them, you love them. So the question is, where do we get the power to do this? How do do we do this, right? Lastly, the power, here is the power. The love of Christ helps us genuinely love those who differ from us. It is only the love of Christ. Today, the world is so divided on so many issues. Right? The moment people say this is what they think about this issue, that's it, you, you can't be friends with them. Today, marriages are breaking and friendships are breaking and there's a division between parents and children and children and parents and between siblings and all kinds of stuff because of issues in this world. But God calls us to live genuinely in love. How do we get the power? How do we do this, right? Only the gospel can help us. My friends, I want you to understand, the gospel is completely different from any religious philosophy. And I I keep saying this because because we are taught to think that everything is the same. It is not the same. The, The gospel is day and night. It is completely different. Let me help you understand. Every religious philosophy, you are justified by the works you do, by the life you live. By the commands you obey, by the duty, by by how you live and how you do things and how well you do, you are justified before God based on the things that you keep and do and obey. This was Buddha's last few words. He says, he says, strive. This is what he leaves with his disciples. He says, strive without ceasing. This was his last words, meaning keep working Keep striving till the end. The gospel is completely different. Oh, it is different. It is different because in the gospel, you are not justified by the food you eat. You are not justified because you do certain things or you you come to church or or you don't. You are not justified by the works you do. You are justified by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Oh, you are justified by his sinless life. You are justified by his substitutionary death on the cross for your sin and my sin. You are justified because Jesus rose again from the dead because God accepted his sinless sacrifice. It is only through that that I am justified, not because of how I live. This is the gospel. Jesus' last words on the cross was not strive without seeing. Jesus says it is finished, your striving ends because I have done the work for you. I have done the work, my friend. Living a life when you understand and you believe and you apply the gospel, oh, your striving can cease. You don't have to look for identity in this world. You don't have to work. You don't have to fight. When I say work, you don't You don't have to earn approval. You don't have to work for things, for people's approval and love. You're, no, your, stri- you, your striving can cease. You are already accepted. You don't have to be afraid if you're going to mess up Oh, if I eat this, if I listen to this, will God... No, your striving can cease. You can be at total peace and total joy because God has accepted you because of the work of Christ. This is what gives you confidence. In this is what gives you joy. This is what sets you free. The, the more I delight in the gospel, the more I understand how I'm justified by faith and by grace, the more I understand... The more I understand how Jesus, even though he was completely different from me, you're tracking me? He was completely different. He was holy and righteous. My views were hostile to him. I was an enemy of Christ because of my sin. I cannot even come near him. Can you imagine this? He was completely different. I was completely different from who he is but he became like me. He became like you, he took on flesh and he came. Do you see how Jesus radically changed for the sake of you? And we are here talking about, I can't do these things for other people and my freedom is more important. No, my friend, oh, it is in the context of the gospel. It is in the context of love. Jesus became and he constrained himself. He came within limits as a human and walked on this earth for my sake. And he opened his heart and his home so that I can accept him. If Jesus could do that, who am I? And what limits am I setting for people? from the extent to which I cherish the gospel, the extent to which I see that Christ has done this for me, it humbles me. It humbles me. How can he do this? How can Christ do this for me? I don't deserve this. I'm not entitled to this. How can the Son of God do this for me? The more I understand how I'm saved by faith through his grace, the more I understand the gospel, it humbles me. It humbles me but not only humbles me before God, it humbles me before people. Before, this is how I can approach people who differ from me and still love them. Are you tracking me? Does this make any sense? My friend, this, it, is the, it is the gospel. Because when you understand the gospel, you know you can hold on to your views. Well, you don't have to water it down. You don't have to compromise your faith. Right? And I tell my kids, no, you don't have to. People can call you names, people can call you you are this phobia, that phobia. It doesn't matter. But you can still hold on to your views and love people. You can love people. You don't need to, you, you don't need to change your beliefs in order to love people. That is the world. The world says you can only love when you are just like me. No, the Bible says, no, my friends, you can be truthful and honest and yet love humbly so whether you eat or don't eat whether you do this or don't do that we have tremendous freedom in Christ scripture calls us to know his word and to apply his word to know the gospel and to apply the gospel and whether you eat or not When you look at somebody else who differs from you, my friend, Jesus calls us not to tolerate but to love them. When Jesus died on the cross, he was not tolerating you. He loved you. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that there could be so many issues in our mind and so many questions and so many ways to apply what we've just heard. But I pray that we will never forget, oh, we will never forget that your love, your love is the one that has changed us. That you took the step to come down and to die for my sins. Even before I asked, even before I believed, you paid for my sins. Jesus, you opened your heart and your home, today I'm called your child. I belong to your family, forgiven and accepted, not because of what I've done, it is because of your work, so we worship you. I pray for my friends here, if there's anybody here who still is grappling with the gospel, I pray Lord, your spirit will give them clarity on the beauty, on the beauty of the gospel the clarity of the freedom that comes with the gospel, the clarity of the rest that is available for us in the gospel. Help us, Lord. I pray that in times when the people disagree with us and times when people are hostile to us, help us, oh, help us to move towards them with genuine hospitality, with genuine love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.